Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. From Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Matt Cummings with special guest Santosh Venkatraman. More about him in a second. All right, we're live. WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago. The number in the studio, 847-866-WNUR. Call us on air. Get your opera voice heard. What's your hot take on what we're talking about? Again, that number, 847 847- 866-9687. All right, tonight, our guest again, Santosh Venkatraman, a frequent contributor to the Opera Wire website. We talk with him about diversity on stage and backstage in American opera houses, and we'll get him to play Monday evening quarterback and review a show or two. Then up at 9.40 p.m., two-minute drill, everything you need to know from the past week in Operaland, plus our hot takes on those stories. we got a fantastic show for you tonight. Oliver Camacho, great to see you in studio, too. Oh, thanks. I missed you guys, and you guys talked about Lansing and Price last week, and there wasn't enough time. There's not enough time. There, there's never enough yeah. time to talk about Lansing Price. About Lansing Price. <laughs> And Tobias, right, hanging out. I am here. <laughs> no acknowledgement. No, we could talk. We could talk more about Lean Team. Did you hear Matt Cummings, by the way? Of course, yes, okay, Matt Cummings. Sure. Yeah, oh, it was weird because it I didn't. Could. It didn't feel like you heard me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you think I'm just ignoring you, right? I do. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm not. I'm not ignoring you. Uh, and of course, Santosh, you, you like sports. Yeah, I actually was a sports writer in a past life. Actually, really? So, yeah. That explains it. Such uh, synergy. Yeah, <laughs> you should have. Yeah, what are we doing here? <laughs> Toby, so, you watch the NBA Finals? Uh, Man. That's Steph, Steph okay. Curry or Seth Curry? Seth, S- Steph Seth Curry. Steph. Uh, he's a very beautiful man. He's a very beautiful man. I uh, love the color of his skin. Does that sound weird? Uh, no. <laughs> Not for showing diversity, <laughs> I don't think so. But the Warriors did sweep the Cavaliers. The Warriors are a, a bit of a dynasty, a budding dynasty. I don't know. That's their third championship for four years. Tremendous team. What's really exciting, though, everybody knows I'm a LeBron James homer here, mm-hmm. uh, is that now he enters free agency. And so the greatest player of all time is going to be on a new team next year. He's not going to stay with Cleveland? No, that'd be crazy for him to do that. Okay. Unless he's deciding to make it work. Yeah. He won't. I'm just in it for the drama. He's spoken <laughs> like a true basketball fan, Matt. <laughs> well, Toby's teaching can only get me so far, you know? Exactly. In my household, we're getting ready for the World Cup, of course. My son filled out his bracket. He thinks Russia's going to win it all. What does he know? <laughs> yeah. No collusion. A witch hunt. how Russia <laughs> operates, that's why. No collusion. All right, boys, let us talk oh, some. French Open! Some French Open. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about French Open, but uh, I'm very mm-hmm. sad that Serena Williams like had a pectoral injury. But, um, you know, Sloane Stevens 
what did a great job getting to the final. I'm very happy for her. She's a very classy lady. And I'm not a Simona Halep fan, but I have to give it to her. Like she performed incredibly, incredibly in the final. She was amazing. And she totally deserved that win. Rafael Nadal gets no mention from you? You know, I've never been a Nadal fan. I just feel like he's so dominant that it's not even interesting anymore. Um, but that's when you know you're really one of the greatest of all times. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> as a LeBron you, fan, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you, be, when you render the sport irrelevant because of your dominance, yeah. that speaks to your greatness. But I have to say, I fell in love a little bit uh, with, with, Dominic, me, again? with Dominic Team, the, oh. the other finalist from Austria. And, like, how many Austrian athletes do you know, you know? Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger. Oh, wait, that wasn't Arnold. <laughs> that was dreadful. Let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. So earlier this year, uh, we talked about an editorial. We didn't really talk about it. We mentioned an editorial in uh, Opera Wire, which is sort of like a web-based magazine. Uh, it was called Opera's Diversity Problem and How to Fix It. And we sort of bookmarked it and saved it because we knew we wanted to dive deep into this topic at some point, especially that when we found out that the author, Santosh, our guest today, um, was in Chicago, we thought we would bring him in the studio and help us go through this article and, and discuss this important topic. And now, five months later, he's finally here. So once again, welcome, Santosh. Um, will you, just for the audience, uh, say your name into the microphone so that we will all know it and live it? Santosh? Okay. <laughs> Is that good enough? Yeah, no, and your last Nailed name. it. Venkatraman, yeah, I know. Okay. I do know my name. Yeah. I think we're all nervous about, like, some of these names with so many syllables in them, you know? <laughs> um, American names don't have... I mean, look, Matt Cummings, you know? That's true. right, you know? Uh, Tobias, thank Tobias. you. And <laughs> it's not great for customer service, you know, yeah. and you have to fix your... Uh, get rid of your cable or whatever you're trying yeah. to do, you know, so... Spell it out, yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how you started to become a contributor to Opera Wire magazine. Yeah, Opera Wire is really interesting. If anybody's been on the site, uh, it's worldwide, you know, mm -hmm. reviewers all over the world. And uh, the guy who started it, who is based in New York, mm -hmm. David Salazar, great guy. I met him this oh. year and uh, I believe started around uh, December 2016, around that time. I don't know the exact time, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, actually, it's funny. I, I'd seen the site and I didn't know much about it, but, you know, he, he, he's open to new people and I kind of emailed them. We went back and forth and it was pretty argumentative and I was like thinking in my mind, well, this guy's never going to want to hear from me again, you know? Yeah. But actually, that kind of brought us to the point where we're like, okay, yeah, well, I think we can work together. Okay, so <laughs> Opera Wire um, collects um, reviews from its contributors, but there's also feature articles, uh, interviews, yeah, sure. uh, editorials, such as the one that we're talking right. about here. And uh, yeah, it's all original content. Yeah. Um, do they have photographers or do they just use photos off of... We just use the photos from the companies for the most part or okay. the PR people. Yeah. Awesome. So how did you necessarily get into opera? And don't tell us the whole story like when you were five years old. But like just how did you get well, to where you are? that's what's interesting from? is like so many people get into opera at a younger age. You know, for me, I saw my first opera. I'm from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. I moved to Chicago in 05. I'll make this story about as brief as possible. I've told to many people this mm -hmm. story. And the first opera I saw was at Lyric. It was Rosen Cavalier. It was great. Mm -hmm. It was in 06. And I knew the quality of it, but it didn't get me into opera. So mm -hmm. what happened was three years later, it was the second opera. It's always the second one, right? Yeah. Mm. And 
I was at a strange point in my life where things weren't great personally, professionally. So I just booked a flight to Bucharest. Mm-hmm. Just was on sale. Because right? that's what you do. Like, yeah. when you're not having no, a I, good life. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so a friend of mine, she, you know, she knows really good friend of mine. She's like, you're not going to want to spend 10 days in Romania. You can go anywhere in Europe. So I was like, yeah, you're right. So I just got a flight to Vienna. And I saw a line outside the Staatsoper when I'm in Vienna. And, you know, I was like, what's this line? And it was an American girl at the end of the line. And she goes, oh, this is opera. It's Eugene Onegin. It's Simon Kinley's side. He's singing. And it's Tchaikovsky. It's going to be fabulous. So I go, how much does this cost? She goes, four euros. Four euros for the Stateplatz, for the standing Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, I can afford that. And I yeah. went in there. It's a magnificent view. It's still four euros as of three years ago when I last went to Vienna. And, uh, you know, I was mesmerized by this Onegin. And I had tears rolling down my eyes when I was walking down the streets. And I Do was they like, have English translations? for? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. They have them, like, on the... On the uh, okay, so just a little, a little bit of background. You are not a musician. I'm not a musician. Uh, no. You said you were a sports writer? I was a sports writer, yes. Okay, so you, you were interested in sports. What compelled you to listen to get into music just because there was a line and there was a cute american girl at the end of it or well it was just this performance and i think part you know i speak a little bit of russian uh, i studied russian and i think i I watch foreign films so i like some things that are artistic i never i you know i didn't know anything about opera we didn't have any background we weren't taught about it in school or you know right right nobody you know there's how are you how do you get that you know, I think we're going to talk about this later, yeah. about how in Europe, it's just part of the cultural backdrop, you right. know? Like, but what has been the draw for you? Like, has it, what, has it been the storytelling? Has it been the singing? Is it the music itself? Is it, you know, the, the set design? Like, I think, you know, I've thought about this a lot, and I think there's a lot of factors, but I think the biggest thing as compared to sports, you know, in sports, there's a winner and a loser, right? We mm-hmm. know that the Warriors won and the Cavaliers lost, mm-hmm. right? And there's no ambiguity about that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the genius of opera is that there is a lot of ambiguity, and especially the more and more you delve into different works, into different eras, and different people, and they're creating something, and there's no hard and fast rule on what any of this means, right? I mean, I don't think there is, right? You can interpret, you know, there's many ways to interpret Wagner, there's many ways to interpret so many of these uh, performances. Artists, you know, different singers, different directors, uh, you know, every, every... butterfly you see is different right yeah. mm-hmm. so i think all of this kind of adds to what this is which is the ambiguity is what makes it great you okay know? so this this eugene yagen how long ago was that this was 2009 yeah okay so eight years or nine years later you are now like a certified opera file sure you see many performances per year you sure. travel all over the world sure and <laughs> you now contribute to you know opera wire sure. which is a very popular site in our community you know sure um, can you explain that rapid, you know, intensity and, you know, the knowledge gathering? and One one thing with opera that's really unique, you know, and like anything that's a niche uh, type of situation, which it's niche right? It's a niche. You know, it's not popular. It's not popular culture we're mm-hmm. talking about is that it's a small world. And if you introduce yourself to people and you meet people, uh, you know, a real quick story on this. I, my first ring cycle was the Seattle 2013. Spike, Spike Jenkins was the mm-hmm. uh, Spike Jenkins was the general director. For him, he's not there anymore. And then the next year, you know, I'm in Glyndebourne. I see Spike, Spike Jenkins in Glyndebourne. I'm like, oh, let me talk to this guy. And I'm talking to a noted Wagnerian about Wagner. And I, I just thought, like, you know, 
for somebody that's a pretty much a neophyte in this. Like that's yeah. so unique. You can't. I don't think there's anything else you. I don't know if there's anything else you can do that. Okay, in. I get it now. So basically, you have no shame. You just go up to anybody and talk <laughs> to people. I understand that. Okay, so um, let's Oliver talk about really Oliver. Really understands that. that. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about this uh, opera's diversity problem. Um, this is a, once again an editorial from uh, January. And you start out by retelling, recounting a story of uh, being at the Lyric uh, last fall, seeing Die Valkyrie, and uh, you sat down next to another patron who asked you, uh, was this your first opera? And this sort of kind of spilled over into a huge topic. So you want to take us back to that? Yeah, that was kind of funny that that happened, because I had in my mind to write this story even before that happened. And then this, you know, I had seen Opening Night of, of Valkyrie, and uh, yeah, I'd already written the review and everything, but... I, yeah, I love Wagner, so if I get an extra chance to see, I'll try to see Wagner two or three times at the Lyric, you know, especially Wait, with you, the cast. You'd already written your review before you saw the show? This no, is not this the is first the second time you saw it. <laughs> yeah, this is the second time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's Opera Box or WNUR 89.3 FM. <laughs> Keep going, George. Yeah, so I had uh, I had seen it, and then, you know, I wanted to see it again. It was It's also interesting to see from different perspectives because I was in a different seat. I, I don't know how many times you guys see performances, but it's interesting when you see them from different places in the uh, in the building. And yeah, so I had this strange exchange, you know. I mean, it, it didn't bother me per se, but it also shows you, like, that the atmosphere is just... Uh, it, it, for a minority, it, it, you know, depend, okay, not good. every place. So good. I wait, was waiting for that. Um, so you took it to race, which I do all the time. And, like, I am... For people who haven't gone to our Facebook page and seen our lovely group picture, I'm brown. Uh, I'm a very beautiful shade of brown. I'm kind of like um, uh, Carmel Macchiato. I, that's how that, I've always thought of you. Yeah. Yeah. That's why In I'm a word. And you're more like mocha. Yeah. Um, and there is this thing about being, uh, you know, in the front rows of the Civic Opera House where it gets whiter and whiter, you know. And I'm, I assume you're, you're suggesting here that the people that were surrounding you uh, in, in these seats... Uh, were not very diverse ethnically. Well, they weren't, but I mean, I you know, I was also there with my one of my good friends. But I mean, I, you know, the others. So he was on one side of me. My, this other person was on the other side of me. But you know, to your point, see, and this, the genesis for this whole story was last year when I went to the Opera America conference in Dallas, mm -hmm. and uh, the diversity panel they did. You know, it'll probably stay with me forever, and it's on YouTube. Uh, you know, there's a link to it. I think in it's my embedded story. in your story. Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, it was fascinating because you had a panel of uh, some people from different opera companies and you had these two women, two black women who were not in the opera world, but they were, you know, professional women. And one of them said, like, this is the hardest thing for me to go to the opera house. The first woman kind of said, like, it's, it's just you feel like people are looking at you, all this other stuff. Then the second woman came up and the second woman, you know, she said, like, yeah, it's so difficult for me to come. You know, she kind of echoed the same theme. And the the host was said, so as somebody who's an outsider to the opera world, like, how do, what is it about opera that's so difficult? And she's like, well, I'm not exactly outside the opera world. I'm a trained metro, mezzo-soprano. Yeah. And everybody just, you know, that just kind of, the room went nuts, you know, yeah. to hear that. That, you know, that somebody that's trained in this would feel uncomfortable in, in, in an in opera In the theater, house. sitting in the yeah, theater. Yeah, just sitting there, you know. And, uh, and, you know, to your point, like, I never really made it about that, you know, because I'm pretty whatever. But I mean, it kind of hearing these women speak about this kind of like empowered me. It's like, oh, I get it. This is has some of the things that I deal with personally, you know, not in a bad way. But, you know, the bigger point is just like, what is how does this affect 
the industry and the art and trying to get people in here and trying to get people excited about this, you know? If you have people fearing this, and it's also not... There's a part of it that's race. There's also a part of it that's in American culture, which is unique, which is just that it's intimidating. Nobody dresses up and wears a tuxedo or does any of these things. I mean, to some degree, but just for a night out. And the opera house is an intimidating place and i didn't really realize that it's not for me it never has been it hasn't been intimidating for you hasn't been intimidating but you do feel uncomfortable at times with depending on certain places but the intimidation for a lot of people if you're talking about people who are going for the first time it's just like foreign language so i don't know anything about people who i don't feel like i have anything in common with and that's a lot you know and that's a lot and i think uh I think something to be conscious about, you know, is definitely when you when you're in a performance and just try to be cordial to people. I try to introduce myself to people and try to be cordial. Well, how do you compare audiences with you know Chicago lyric opera audiences with other audiences in the country that might be more diverse? And what do you think is the reason that they are able to achieve more diversity in the audiences? And also maybe bring it out to Vienna or Bucharest, wherever you've seen opera, you know, uh, Zurich. You know, it's an interesting question. I mean, the most unique place to me is the Met, just because, which is probably a bad thing, is that you just feel like everybody here is foreign. Which, you know, the Met's a big attraction; it's the best opera house. All that's great, but you just feel like, where are the Americans in here? You know, because this is you want this to be. Is it is the Met like a international institution or an American institution. It's definitely an international institution. So you feel the audience is diverse, but they're not Americans. Right. Okay. And I don't know how much that's growing opera in that sense, but you know, I, we'll talk more about St. Louis. I think St. Louis does a tremendous job, and I think part of what they do... You know, you're talking, you know, grand opera, like you're talking about the Met or Lyric, and then you have some of the smaller venues, and there's different things, obviously, that you can do. Mm-hmm. And St. Louis, you know, they've been very smart as far as programming, programming commissions that are brand new works which are you know serve a twofold purpose they uh highlight american composers new works you know which we want to show what people are doing what's out there now because you know traviata is great but they can't you can't show that every year in a right. place like st louis even yeah, you, you can. can't do that here <laughs> even though some of them are trying yeah yeah <laughs> so okay but we're going to talk about well let's right. let's stop right pause right there and say uh let, let's take a pause because after the break, we're going to add into the conversation Henry Plez. He's here. He's here awesome. on line one. That's, that's amazing. Hey, uh, we're going to stick around. We want you guys to stick around, of course, for the conversation too. Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. we got a lot more to talk about so, diversity um, in opera. Keep it tuned. We'll be back. Uh, Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill, plus our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. 
But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. This is America's talk radio show about opera with George Cedarquest, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. That's what you're listening to, Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM. We have got a full house tonight. I'm going to throw it back to Oliver in Studio 2 to reintroduce our panelists. Okay, so uh, in the studio with us today is Opera Wire contributor Santosh Venkatraman. And on the line... Uh, is a friend of mine, uh, a tenor that I went to college with back in the um, Henry Forties, <laughs> Henry Plez the uh, Third. Henry um, is a, what is this this group that you you do with um, Carl Alexander and those other people? This oh, so yeah, the Unveiled Voices Project. What, say it again. The what? The Unveiled, Un- Unveiled Voices. Voices Project. Okay, so yeah. this is part of your mission is to promote singers of color and composers of color, correct? Yeah, and and to develop diverse audiences that uh, want to listen to good music. Okay, good. So we were just at that topic. Um, what is your opinion about um, the audience diversity, uh, especially in a city like Chicago, which has so many African-Americans that you would think that be have more representation uh, in the venues like CSO and Lyric, but often feel underrepresented? And what are some of the things you think that companies should be doing uh, in administration, in artistic choices, in audience <laughs> development choices? That's a big <laughs> question. Yeah, right? <laughs> You know, this is years of stuff. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, you, we've, got, we've got 18 uh, minutes, so go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that um, they they need to be doing more things like I'm trying to do, and they are trying to do those things, but um, just more opportunities to hear us and to perform music that, is accessible and available if people would reach out and look a little farther beyond, you know, the generic stuff. Hi, Henry. This is Matt. I, uh, hey, Matt. I'd like to to jump off on that and and kind of uh, get ask your opinion and both of your opinions actually about how how much you think the repertoire itself kind of self perpetuates this problem in that so many of the operas and music that we listen to either uses race as like a signifier of the other or is just a backdrop for another for another drama and what what role do you think that that kind of backdoor problem uh, those backdoor problems are have made inherent in the system and how how can the repertoire choices be a part of the solution um, I, I think you have to be, you know, people are willing to be really creative in terms of production these days and doing innovative and exciting things. And I think you can do that with race, too, and you can do that with um, um, a broader view of how we relate to one another. And um, the, 
the fact is that producers just they don't they won't take that those risks and it's it's endemic of what our society is like we don't want to risk that way we don't want to um cross boundaries or a lot of us don't want to cross boundaries and a lot of us are trying it's you know we're not bad people we're just we get stuck and we need to unstick ourselves do you ever feel that some of the uh, casting choices uh, and productions you've been you've been a part of have uh, uh, they've been specifically trying to diversify their cast or um, they just maybe you didn't get cast in something because you were not going to be paired with the you know this leading lady or whatnot that uh, might not have looked the way they wanted. I, know, I don't know. I don't know why. Um, I think. I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to do the best in terms of um, my technical work, and I don't think that has been up to par, and so I'm, I'm working to bring that up to the level that I want it to be at and to, to, uh, to you know, just, you know, be at tip-top shape. And so it was interesting. I, I'm just back from Berlin, and I was uh, on a listening tour. There was a... a the opera stage program um, put together a program to have um, um, about um, eight different dramatic voices sing together. And so some of my colleagues were there and I went to listen. And um, at the end of the whole thing, there was a performance by all the participants. And there were three black tenors in the audience in Berlin. And um, all great voices doing great things, um, and we're just, um, we're kind of like invisible men. People, you know, they pass us by. And they don't pay attention to what we're doing uh, because it doesn't fit into some package or box. So we're just, you know, we're, we're working to be at the top of our games and present and um, allow people to... I'm going to bring it back to some of the topics we had left uh, before the break, uh, talking about venue uh, and talking mm-hmm. about uh, the works on the stage. And Santosh is somebody who goes to watch opera all over the world. I just want to hear mm-hmm. what you have to say, Santosh, about uh, which pieces have brought out the most diverse audiences and what venues are very successful at doing that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's an important part of this is that, uh, you know, here in Chicago, obviously, you know, the Civic Opera House, you know, it's an iconic experience for those who go at the same time. You know, I, I know I saw you at Fellow Travelers, yeah. and uh, the vibe you got, you know, being in the Athenaeum Theater, lovely. and the people yeah. were so excited to yeah. be in that neighborhood and to see a performance like that. Plus, and, uh, it was a very gay opera, and there was more gay men than I've ever seen. It was like being at a gay bar with an orchestra, you know? <laughs> and, I mean, you know, these spaces, you know, especially in a city like this, and, you know, listen, Lyric, main stage, they're going to have to be in there, and we, we understand that. At the same time, you know... But if you look at fellow travelers, the Athenaeum, you look at the the Brownlee event, which uh, Yard, they did well, there was Yardbird at the Harris Theater, right. which it, also brought a lot yeah. of African right. American audiences. So. And uh, you know, this is what it takes because it's hard to. I don't know if the Civic Opera House is a great introductory place for opera in the sense, like I, I told you guys, like I saw my first opera there, and I was, you know, I knew it was quality, but it didn't get me back there, right? So, yeah. I mean, and that's nothing, nothing negative on them, you know. I think that's just culturally how things are here. And I think 
to you know like you were at the but athenium I don't think to... you, I mean, you don't have to exclude that i mean that that can be a part of the whole mix. sure yeah so it's it's some of of what's going on at civic and it's some of what chicago opera theater is doing and there are new voices out there that are saying really interesting things in terms of new pieces and also new ideas about how to present so uh, maybe that the solution is not the big houses like the Met and the Lyric in San Francisco. It is the regional houses. What about fringe and storefront opera companies? Do you feel like they, I mean, they have the flexibility or the, yeah, the agility. Is that what I'm looking for? Like the, yeah. The, yeah, to, they don't have the same kind of overhead. Yeah. They don't have the right. same kind of anchor. Yeah, to program very new and specific work. But they don't have the marketing or necessarily the, you know, infrastructure over uh, infrastructure. Um, to put on like really lavish shows that would bring in people just for the theatrical spectacle of it, you know? Well, but there are smaller things that are really interesting that uh, people, could, you know, we kind of limit ourselves in terms of there's a lot of opera out there. You know that, Oliver. Yeah. There's, I but, mean, there's huge amounts of stuff that, uh, you know, you have to do your research and find the right piece for what you're doing and what you're good at. Quality has to be a big component of it. Right, but if we are introducing people to the opera, I've, it's me because I'm old-fashioned. I think that you need to see a masterpiece like Eugene Onegin, you know, or even like Well, Carmen, but if you're you know? going to diversify your audience, you have to diversify your product, right? right? And that's, mm-hmm. I think, where the part, the, the fundamental failure, and so you talk about uh, captivating a new generation of opera lovers, the next generation who can then have a community that they're a part of and not feel uncomfortable going to an opera house. And so does, if, if you're able to do that, I, I guess what I'm curious is to, if you diversify what's on the stage, will that diver- diversify what's in the audience? Well, Ryan Speedo Green is a great example of, of a story of like somebody, like a troubled youth who his mentor brought him to the opera and he saw Denise Graves singing in Carmen mm-hmm. and he fell in love. He said to his mentor, like, I am going to do this. Like, when, this is, I'm going to dedicate my life to this, you know. And like with what the lyric did with, well, with the Brownlee concert. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I get frustrated thinking about Chicago and, and what a tremendous opportunity. Because like you said, if there's a huge African-American population, Chicago's a black city. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it's crazy to me what a wonderful opportunity there is to educate and to make these younger kids, you know, be a part of CPS and see what you can uh, cultivate there and make them lovers of music and lovers of art um, and make that a part of their education, you know? Um, Yeah. And I don't... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to just say, yeah, I think there is change happening. Um, but we just need to, you know, we need to keep up the, the momentum. Uh, we need to support our groups that are out there kind of in the trenches trying to, to introduce these ideas and, and get, and get uh, black and people, black, black folk and people of all colors and all, all diversities into the theater. So, and, and that puts pressure on the lyrics of the world and the Mets of the world to, you know, start to follow suit. Now, audiences will start to change uh, in their rela- relationship to consumption, I think. 
Um, Henry, I want to give you a chance if you need to to um, to bow out. We're going to just slightly change the t- subject a little bit uh, because okay. Santos just came back from Opera Theater St. Louis, where he saw mm-hmm. um, an American soldier, which is uh, the Huang Huang Chao Huang Ro. Huang Ro. God, look at me how racist I am. Uh, opera about uh, Danny Chen, Private Danny Chen. Um, and the bullying that he experienced. And did he commit suicide? Yeah. Well, that's the official thing. The family has never agreed that he committed suicide. No. So it's a very, it's a contentious thing to this day. So actually. tell us about, about the show and about the Asian-ness of this show. Well, I mean... Can I do a quick promote? Sure. Really, really quick promote. On April 24th at South Shore Opera, um, we're doing an evening of opera from... Do you mean August 24th? I mean, uh, July 24th. July, okay, good. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) July 24th, okay. Yeah, at 4 o'clock, it's a free concert at the South Shore Cultural Center in the Paul Rolston Theater. All right, we'll we'll link it to our our website so people know um, how to find it. A lot of great stuff and um, joined by a great group of other singers. It should be a nice afternoon. Thank you for that. Yeah, we'll we'll put the link to that on our uh, website for this episode. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank appreciate you, Henry. It. Henry Plies, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Full house tonight. George Cedarquist, your host, along with Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and our special guest, Santosh Venka Traman. Time to play a little Monday Eating Quarterback, I think. Pass or fail, here's Monday Evening Quarterback. Yeah, that's what we call the uh, review section of the show. And of course, uh, Santosh, we want you to be reviewing the shows for us. You were, as Oliver says, at Opera Theater of St. Louis. An American Soldier was on the docket, as well as Regina by Carlisle Floyd. Mark Blitzstein. (laughs) Blitzstein. Blitzstein. Blitzstein, yeah. Not by Carlisle Floyd? No, no that's Man. the other Regina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you say Vagina. <laughs> Never mind. Take it away. Yeah, as far as American Soldier, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting work. Uh, it, it actually uh, was done in Washington National Opera four years ago. They'd have an American Opera initiative, and they, uh, did, they'd do a 60-minute piece by American composers. So Huang Gro, uh had kind of researched the story on Private Danny Chen, who was a Chinese-American uh, 19-year-old from Chinatown, New York, actually. And his parents didn't speak English, and uh, he wanted to join the Army. You know, he wanted to join the Army in order to prove himself as an American, you know, just being of being of Chinese descent. And he was bullied, and uh, it led to his suicide in t- 2011 in uh, Afghanistan. And uh, that, so that's the, the basis for this, uh, this opera, and it was Huang Ro, and uh, the librettist is David Henry Huang, you know, who's a noted playwright, and cast, uh, you know, it was a very Asian-American team behind this. Andrew Stenson, the tenor, who you guys had here, who's uh, in Cozy and Lyric. Friend of the show, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, he was there. He was, he's, he was private. He created the role of Private Danny Chen, and it was an all-Asian cast, except for the uh, character who was the sergeant, which was kind of a fictitious character who is like the complete the version of the person who was on trial for all the uh for the abuse of, of he's Danny a jerk Chen. yeah okay <laughs> and uh 
Yeah, it, it's a two-hour work. It's very accessible. It's very difficult. At the same time, it's emotional. The subject matter is difficult. The subject matter, but the music difficult. is accessible. The music is accessible, yeah. and right. the libretto is also accessible. It's not like obtuse language, like. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of words I can't say on this air, so <laughs> okay. I, you know, which you don't hear in the opera world too yeah. now, you know. So that's an experience that you don't get yeah. in in the theater, because you know, part of this is how the military was depicted, you know, yeah. and this is the language that they use, right? And uh, you know, when I was there, I was there for opening night and. Uh, the mother was there, and it was really a, a emotional. You know, at OTSL, it's really a unique place. And on opening night, they bring out champagne for everybody. On opening night of the, they have four operas, and you know, they give do a toast to everybody. And they did a toast, you know, to the family that's there. And I was just standing there talking to a couple of people, and I didn't realize the mother was like right behind me, and she burst out into tears. You know, when they did the toast, and it was like, and I just started crying because it was just emotional. You know, to have seen an opera like that and to see. You know, this is this was a real story. You know, and to talk about like audiences and engaging audiences, this isn't something like you have to look at the history books to figure out what happened, this, that, or the other thing. Now, this is a current story. It's impactful right now as to how minorities are treated, especially in this current political climate, right? And uh, and we saw the most horrific result as far as this this teenager, nineteen year old, going to join the army. You know, we we look at the army. I think I wrote about it in my review as the best and the brightest. And look at how they treated him. You know, look at how they treated him. And you know, so much of this culture—if you follow, you guys are sports guys. You follow the NFL with the anthem. Yeah, we are. And this <laughs> whole thing, and it's like the military. We hold the military up, and like, look at how they treated this guy. But you know, it's always like just like they say the uh, you know they they close ranks, and you know these the soldiers were given a slap on the wrist for for this guy committing suicide. You know, this was their they're comrade, right? They're all in a foreign country, and this is what the army is supposed to be, which I think we all so know. So, what's really fascinating to me right now is that, like, you're telling us this, and um, it's you tell a really great story, but I don't in any way sense any anger from you, and I'm angry listening about this right now. Um, and I mean, I'm a person of color, so are you. How did you like get that anger out of your the way you interact with people? Well, Did I mean, to, that's, the, that's the story about being a minority in this country. Like, you can't be angry all the time, right? Because we're not going to make it if we have that attitude. And it's not, you have your moments, but at the same time, I don't think, uh, you know, it's more, uh, it's more uh, survival. You know, it's survival. It's how you cope with the world. I mean, you know, like, I think, you know, what you're seeing in this political climate, which to get away from opera to your question is just that that's how... What your skin color is is a part of who you are. I don't think there's, that's undeniable, you know, and I think it's important to realize that and it's important to realize how other people see you. At the same time, I'm telling, when I tell you this story about Danny Chen, you know, we all, I'm Asian American, I had things like this too in my mind. At the same time, how you feel about yourself is always going to trump how other people see you, but it's easy, it, I only learned that when I got older. Had this kid lived longer he wouldn't have had to feel some of the things he felt as a younger person, you know, and it's hard being a younger person, you know? So I think that's the part of it that, you know, we're throwing 19 year olds into this situation. Now the sergeants and the commanding officers are supposed to be in, in control, right? But they're not, they're just fanning the flames and you have these people who are just, you know, bullying and teasing each other and it's a toxic situation, you know? But who's going to take the responsibility, right? The, the, the commanding officers don't do it, right? The generals don't yeah. do it, you know? So so success artistically for Opera Theater St. Louis, but success in 
bringing a new audience to the opera and keeping them? What do you think? As far as this work, you know, this is part of a series. It's important to say for Opera Theater of St. Louis, as far as other commissions, they did Champion, which is about a boxer. They did Shalimar the Clown, which was a kind of based on Indian and Asian, uh, East Asian themes. And uh, they've all, they they do a very good job at outreach over there, I would say, as far as trying to get people in. It's a very small space, you know, is what we're talking about here. You know, ultimately, too, it's twofold. It's the work has this forum to, to be in a, in a prominent company for these composers to show this work. And then hopefully it moves on to other places and then other places around the country can see it, too, which is the hope, right? And uh, I think the Danny Chen story will probably make it to other places in the country because it's it's so resonant to what's going on right now. And, you and know, the piece is good. And the piece is good. The piece and is how good. did the audience feel? I mean, I know that they liked it, but could you get a sense of how the audience felt after the show? Well, I, it's, it's one of the strangest things, honestly, for a work like that. Like, you come out, you're not going to come out of there uplifted. You can't, yeah. you know? And I think what I wrote about it, I just said, like, it was like a series of, like, taken a little bit out of you emotionally at the end you're just spent you know you're just spent seeing it and uh you know i actually went with somebody who has a ticket to another performance and she's like well i'm gonna exchange my second one because i can't see this again and uh i do plan to see it again uh when i, I i'm heading back down there in uh, next week but i'll, I'll uh, see you down there buddy yeah. i'll be there too can, can you stick you can around for the last segment sure. yeah okay so we're gonna um thank you for your review of uh an american soldier uh, George? The review for Regina, I guess we're going to have to keep under lock and key for right now. <laughs> hey, look, the Barry Hunks website and its hunks of Barry are in trouble. Find out why. That's next on America's talk radio show about opera. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM. <laughs> From Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines and opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week. Popular website Barry Hunks received backlash from its followers after posting about operatic suicides. And while that content is no longer available on its Facebook page, Barry Hunks has since written, quote, There's 121 suicides a day in the U.S. We don't view Anthony Bourdain or Kate Spade's deaths any differently than any less famous ones. But out of respect, we're removing this post 
If you knew someone or someone with suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. More on that story in a second. The Board of Welsh National Opera has decided not to renew David Pountney's contract as artistic director beyond mid-2019. No reason has been given, but WNO's chief executive, Leonora Thompson, said, quote, Pountney has been remarkably ambitious, and that is what he was brought in to do. Though I do say it myself, we're doing great work, but some of the more ambitious programming hasn't quite worked for the broader public, though it is absolutely adored by a very loyal core audience. The Queen's birthday honors list included Dame Kirite Kanawa as the companion of honor, baritone Simon Keenly's side received a knighthood, and OBEs were given to mezzo Alice Coote and composers Debbie Wiseman and Thomas Addis, along with composer Thea Musgrave receiving the Queen's Medal for Music. Exit stage right internationally renowned soprano Christine Sisniski has died in a glider plane crash in the Grand Teton mountain range. She was piloting her aircraft at the time. And on this day, June 11th, it's the birthday of American composer Carlisle Floyd. He's 92. And in 1960, the premiere of Benjamin Britten's opera Midsummer Night's Dream at the Aldborough Festival. That's your two-minute drill. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Oliver the Man. Camacho. <laughs> yes, he is the man. So that's why Carlisle Floyd yeah. was on your mind. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Matt. For... Can we go back? Let's just go backwards because that's probably the best way to do this. Take we'll it away. With bear hunks. So, um, yeah, Carlisle Floyd, good on him. Uh, Benjamin <laughs> Britten, A Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> I have to say, as somebody who started listening to opera because I loved singing, and I, you know, it took me to from Mozart to you know Handel and Rossini, and from Rossini I went to other bel canto composers. I eventually got to Verdi and Puccini. It wasn't my first choice. Um, I stayed away from Britain operas until I started working for Opera Now broadcast and having to research things that I didn't know about because I was running out of material. And when I finally got around to um, Midsummer Night's Dream, I was so delighted by it. It is a masterpiece. It is. It's it's brilliant. It's one of my favorite operas. It's the first opera I ever saw, and it's yeah. the first uh, opera I was ever paid to be in. <laughs> so I, it holds a very special place in my heart, and I just think it's brilliant, and that everyone should. It's so should do magical. It so much more than it does. It's so magical. <laughs> it There's done. so many great little arias in it. The uh, the rustic scene at the end Are is hysterical. It's a masterpiece. It's like the history of opera in like ten minutes. You know. And then that, and even people who don't know the history of opera find it funny because yeah. he made it funny yeah. instead of, you know, torture, scare quote music yeah. funny. It can be yeah. torture if in the original yeah. Shakespeare. But um, the finale um, with the children's chorus and Oberon's like little song about, you know, goodbye or whatever, th- that is just such a good piece. Of, I mean, there's so many good pieces of music, but that particularly is like magical music, you know. So if you don't know Midsummer Night's Dream, just... Take take a day and like get a score or get a libretto and just like listen to it and you'll be you will be glad you did because it's such a good work. It's good advice. Or go see it for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, it's done. I mean, yeah. people do it. It's in English. I mean, it has a big orchestra, but I think you'd be surprised how often it's done. So um, I was, you know, just sniffing around Facebook um, yesterday or the day before yesterday, and um, I saw this post about Christine. I want to say Chazinsky. Um, that could be right. yeah. So yeah, that seems about right. 
Um, and I, I saw that she had passed away. I didn't know her, uh, but uh, a friend of mine, uh, I guess, studied with her or maybe um, sang with her. And uh, I was just really touched by by the story. So I think we're going to listen. to. So she was a pilot. Uh, she was uh, flying her own plane, I guess. It was a glider, technically, so yeah. it has no engine. But um, Why don't we hear a little bit of a soprano Christine Chizinski? So uh, Christine uh, Chazinski had an international career. Uh, she's known mostly for these big girl things like Lady Macbeth of Mitsensk and Zalome and Marie and Wozzeck, uh, Bluebeard's Castle, Macropolis um, Case. So those are some big things. <laughs> yes, exactly. And she was married to Norman Bailey. Ah. So that's our tribute to Christine Chazinski. And we're probably saying her name wrong. Somebody feel free to correct us on that one. Anybody got anything on uh, Simon Kinley's side and receiving the... Well, I mean, look, it, it's about time. He he has struggled in his career. He struggled physically. He struggled vocally. And that guy has never, ever quit. He's never given up. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that he got his knighthood, in addition to being a phenomenal singer and, frankly, a phenomenal actor as well. I'm and surprised that uh, it took Thomas Addis so long to get... A gong, as they say <laughs> in the UK, when you're given when you're on the birthday honors list, it's called getting a gong. Uh, I think he's a brilliant composer. He's got to be. George himself has received several <laughs> gongs for I, I, his work in podcasting. Yes, yes exactly. Um, I he is to me one of the seminal British composers of the late 20th, you know, early 21st century. Obviously, with Exterminating Angel coming out two years ago. Powder her face, uh, and the tempest. And the tempest. Big hit from exactly. a couple years ago. Exactly. Playing I, all the hits, all the Thomas Edes hits. I know. Exterminating <laughs> Angel, that big hit. It was. It was a huge success, yeah. though, at at the Metropolitan Opera. What so, does a companion of honor mean? Well, she's it's already like, a dame. It's like doubling come. down. I mean, she's already a dame. Is it like There's just nothing like a dame? <laughs> as they say. It's. It, she's now going to be called Grand Dame. Okay. Huh. Is there anything after that? Uh, they just make you the queen. <laughs> yeah, it's just it just goes straight. There are no more honors to be stowed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, David Poutney, 
Well, this is this is surprising to me. First of all, David Pountney is a, a phenomenal director. Uh, he has facial hair. He's got these mutton chops that he's got facial hair that makes him phenomenal for sure. <laughs> mutton chops that demand you know aircraft clearance before uh, he enters a building. He, this is I don't know why Welsh National Opera is not going to renew his contract. Well, Matt, it sounds. It, I mean, it sounds like they're concerned about the budget, but not really wanting to go off the deep end. I mean, if you read the article, a lot of the operas that they that they push are, you know, things like La Forza del Destino and the Prokofiev War and Peace, like big epic, epic operas, and they're concerned that they're not going to be able to bring in enough of an audience. I think, and this is even a, this is a, tum- a company that that tours extensively throughout Great Britain. And the the finances and the logistics of it just seem otherworldly complicated, even in the world of arts management. But, you know, I I hope that this doesn't mean that they're going to play it safe in terms of the quality of what they're offering, because uh, we tend to think of things as a as a in a false dichotomy of, you know, enriching or daring you know something that'll bring in the money or something that will be fulfilling and uh it definitely seems like their board has pe- has people in it who are keeping an eye on both and i i wish them the best of luck matt but, you're exactly right is you can have both you can have a production that's conservative and sucks and makes no money and you can have a, con- a production that is extremely cutting edge and and also you know, makes a lot of money. So, I, again, I, I don't see why why they're making this decision. Obviously, this article, which is on our website, operaboxscore.com, really doesn't shed any light on it at all. The touring so, thing is a big deal, right? If you're doing large-scale work, as Matt says, it is a logistical nightmare to try and get those productions. They said almost 20 trucks need to arrive in the right order. And, and the, the thing... Yeah, I just want to cry in my beer when I hear that, and 20 it, trucks. It, it it doesn't sound like they do very many co-productions from this article either, which would seem to be a pretty easy way to cut down on the costs that one company has to bear in order to put on these new productions. So I wonder if there's a I really don't know why what they, they it didn't give a reason for why they don't use utilize that more. So the final topic uh, we're going to talk about is Barra Hunks, and I just want to say like I have no. Uh, Horses in this race. Skin in the game is what yeah. you were going to say. Yeah. Um, I just appreciate what Bear Hunks does. I appreciate their voice in the community. Uh, I know sometimes it's just kind of like racy and titillating for its own sake. but That's uh, a good I, thing. So Yeah. But I think that it's it's been there to create you know, dialogue about certain singers that otherwise would not get attention and to draw attention to a very specific voice type career. And not all of them are shirtless on Barahunk. Sometimes they're fully clothed, you know. Uh, but it's interesting that you we end up, if you follow Barahunks on, on social media, you end up learning about singers you might not have heard of before, which I think is a service. It's a positive. But and it's I think gotten a, it's a nasty. Positive, yeah. Probably, and yeah, I think there's but... a lot of singers who have wanted to be on Barahunks because they know it's a little boost for their PR. And now there's like this back, backlash against Bear Hunks because of this misstep. So Bear Hunks does these social media polls and they're off, there's usually one a day. And it's just a way to keep, stay engaged with their followers. And that's what you have to do in this world. You have to always post, you know. So 
maybe it was a bad it was in bad taste to create a poll about who committed suicide in an opera and so he retracted it but there's all these people now who are you know uh coming out against bear hunks and using this misstep as an excuse to like you know deride what bear hunks has been doing and there's even been some online bullying and i asked bear hunks for a statement and um bear hunks replied uh, this is their full statement. I'm going to read it verbatim. Uh, we read an article after Kate Spade's suicide that said raising the issue is important uh, when high-profile cases happen as it forces discussions rather than silence and shame. After our post about operatic suicides, we had these three reactions. One, those who had suicidal ideations and thanked us for the topic. Two, those who thought it was bad timing and politely asked us to remove the post, which is what we responded to. And three, those who went on online tirades, which often amounted to cyberbullying. This included an actual death threat, which seemed a bit ironic. This threat was reported, and we decided to block negative comments from that point forward. Our site has prided itself on keeping the discussions around Opera Positive, including a no-bitchiness statement on our homepage. The post was removed 20 minutes after it went up, but the cyberbullying has gone on for days. We all need to step back and take a look at how we communicate with each, with each other, especially online. Our site will continue to, be, to keep Opera fun, positive, and informative moving forward. We are proud to not have attacked anyone uh, back in response with love, the Bear Hunks team. I think it's a great statement, and I think the way that you've—it it was a misstep. Yeah, it's social media. We're not perfect, um, and more than anything, I think this post was actually trying to, in a way, begin a dialogue. It wasn't shedding. It wasn't taking away from uh, the gravity of the situation, and it yeah. wasn't poking fun at either Kate Spade or Anthony Bourdain or anyone who's had to deal with suicidal thoughts, and especially in an artistic community where, let's face it, there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of people who. Um, when you're an artist, you go to dark places, and I think people feed off that, and some people struggle with that. And I think uh, this post, <coughs> while unfortunate, I think the reaction, the negative reaction, the bullying, I think those are people who are who weren't capable of having a discussion. And not that we, there should have been the discussion about you know what happens in opera suicide, but I don't know. I the overreaction seems to me. Uh, to be people who were looking to um, throw stones before uh, listening. They were looking for said. an excuse. Ex- yeah, uh, I mean mm-hmm. to to hate on on Barahunks. and as Toby says, they made a mistake. They screwed up. They're moving forward. Th- this and that's what that's the only thing you can do. They acknowledge that. Sure. And it was a, that's a real apology. That's yeah. not a that's not a fake social that's media not a, apology. That's not that's not I a Roseanne Barr yeah. thing. Like this, yeah. that's for real. Yeah. yeah exactly. Well, appreciate uh, Oliver for you reaching out to them. Let's wrap this show up. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. Man, it was busy in Studio One. I know, and we just have we have just a few minutes. So I'm going to throw it over to Santosh to give his good call. Uh, Regina at Opera Theater of St. Louis is absolutely spectacular. It's uh, as we mentioned, it's by Blitzstein and. Uh, <laughs> Terrific cast. Susan Graham is the lead. You got James Morris, Susanna Phillips. Uh, there's a few more shows. If you can make it to St. Louis, I, I highly, highly recommend. And if you see Santosh, he's the only South Asian person in the audience. He'd be happy to take his picture with you. It's proof that you were there. <laughs> or, if you're, or if you're a celebrity, he'll take a picture of you. <laughs> yes. Great. Fantastic. Nothing from Tobias, right? No, I have nothing to contribute. Matt I'm Cummings. Just, I'm just no, I'm pretty useless. Oliver Camacho. All right. Well, I was just, since I was sniffing around Opera Wire, 
Uh, I noticed that a year ago they had this post uh, LGBT uh, operas, uh, and it's the post is called Pride Month 2017: A Look at the LGBT Operas in History. And I think it's a very useful little list of uh, operas with a gay theme or LGBT theme. Uh, it includes As One, uh, Patience, and Sarah, which will be produced in Chicago later on this year. Uh, and other things you would expect to be there. So uh, if you're wondering, what are the gay, gay wad operas? Uh, it's already collected on Opera Wire. Thank you very much for that. Hey, that is it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song, Vodka Inferno, is written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And, of course, you can leave a review when you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright and Matt Cummings, as well as our special guest, Santosh Venkatraman, and, of course, Henry Please. I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera next time you go to a political summit. We're back on Monday, June 18th at 9 p.m. Central. More interviews, opera news, hot takes, including Tobias walking us down the hallowed corridors of the OBS Hall of Fame. Join us. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago's sound experiment. <laughs>